as we enter into this time in our service together, I'm going to invite you in just a minute to participate through the chat, uh, whether you're online on our direct site or watching on Facebook Live. I want to ask you just to write something in here. And in the homes you're in, wherever you are, you can even share this amongst each other. So I want you to picture that you can have your favorite meal. There's no consequence of calorie, of aftermath, of anything else. What would that favorite meal be? What is it that you would want to take in that would just bring you so much enjoyment with every bite of everything that you eat? What would that be? And go ahead and put that in the chat. Talk about that together even now. And as you're doing that, as you're looking at each other's, I was reminded when I was reflecting on this idea of what I would even have of one of my sons, uh, we came to the season of Lent, which is a time you fast from certain things, kind of give up uh, different things in your life in a sense of kind of giving to God. And he, in a very bold way, said to my wife and, and to me, he said, hey, listen, I've decided what to give up. He said, I am going to give up fruits and vegetables and meats and all of those foods that are just kind of, and I'm only going to eat candy and ice cream and chips as a sacrifice to God. <laughs> And I thought, man, I love my son. What a, what a great little man he was, and still is. Uh, and yet at the same time, I think, when it comes to aspects we think of bringing pure joy and especially pure fun, if we define it that way, they're normally things, we might even call them hedonistic, things that are pleasurable but come at a price. And we often think of what God has for us and wants for us as being less enjoyable, that it's something we have to get, but we always have those things out there that we would want more, just like we do with a very kind of extravagant or enjoyable meal. And, and I say that to you uh, in a bit to say one of the, the beautiful pieces I love of our heritage as followers of Jesus, as we look back to the very days of Jesus when he walked the earth, his culture, the Jewish culture, had aspects of what they did to help people countermand that, to even at early ages help kids understand how joyous it is to know God and to follow him. In fact, one of the first aspects they taught in any kind of school with the kids was if it was a slate or some other manner of learning, they would put honey on it. And the kid could taste that. The child could in their first day of study and reflection. And it was study and reflection on scripture itself. And it was a sense of understanding, man, learning who God is through the scripture is like tasting honey. Oh, it is sweet and it is enjoyable. In other words, what God has for us is even better than, not less than. Although I think in our culture and climate and even in our own minds, we often think of what God has for us will be less enjoyable than pure hedonism or pure just kind of fun for fun's sake. And I want to take you to another manner in which it was taught in this culture that maybe has helped for us today in this journey. With, with uh, the Jewish culture, there were often words that symbolized something that was going on from that word to mean something more. So for example, one of the main passages they were to learn was called the Shema, which simply means to hear, but it's a statement of going on about hearing that the Lord is one, that you're to love him, that he's supposed to be the center of your life. But they only had that one word. Well, another one of those that was central to the teaching is this Hebraic phrase, and I'm not anticipating you would know it. I just, I love the, the language of Hebrew and love the very look of it. It's, got, it's so artistic to me. These words simply are this as a transliteration. Shaviti Adonai Lanegdi Tamid. And it was known very simply as the Shaviti. In fact, I want you to even say that to each other in your homes. Shaviti. 
Go ahead, say it again, Shaviti. I like the way you say that. Can you say Shaviti? Oh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, good. Adonai, actually, just as a side note, it's actually the word Yahweh, but Israel saw this commandment to take not the Lord's name in vain, this idea of making it so hallowed. They didn't even utter it, so they put a substitute word, Adonai, in. Shaviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid. This is a simple phrase, which means this. I have put the Lord continually before me. In other words, I keep my eyes on the Lord always. He's always in front of me. And Shaviti was what it's known as. Everyone learned it at an early age. Hey, this is central to our understanding. In fact, it's really where the outplay of prayer comes out in the Bible. Shaviti, putting him before you was a sense of how do we pray? And much of the prayers that Jesus would have prayed, even the way he taught to pray, came out of this one phrase. This phrase is in Psalm 16, which is where we're going to be today in our study. And I simply want to kind of give you this precedent for it, this presupposition maybe for the teaching today. This phrase, Shaviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid, this idea that I put the Lord continually before me, that I keep my eyes on the Lord at all times. There's a sense of it, it elevating to it's the best for us. But I'm concerned even when we look at this that what does that mean? I, I had a, a professor in my undergrad years when I was, I was working on a music degree and uh, it was a worship area and he told me that worship was like broccoli. And what he meant by that was you had to acquire a taste. That's literally what he said. And I remember thinking, so he's telling me that it's not enjoyable, but I have to learn to kind of find the purpose or the filling or the health of it. And uh, I want to tell you today, let, let's see if that really rings true to what this psalm says or if God has something more for us. In other words, do you and I kind of look at the things of God and even the calling of the church and the calling of the teachings of Jesus to be a way that says it will be something we have to deal with for something better later, but it, in and of itself, it's not really all that enjoyable. We're always kind of looking at what could be more fun. Like we look at food and say, I wish I could. And those of you who are younger don't have to say that. I mean, you're in your 20s, you're in your teens, you're like, listen, I can eat whatever I want and nothing happens. Trust me, it will change. As you get older, it changes what you think about and eat. But we kind of have this disposition that following the ways of God is just meant to be less enjoyable. So we're gonna look at this passage, this centering idea that Shaviti, we fix our eyes on who Jesus is and that will bring something different in our lives. So we're gonna start at the very beginning of Psalm 16 and walk through the entire Psalm. We're not gonna look at every specific aspect of it, but I wanna draw out aspects that center around this centering text in Psalm 16, eight, which again is Shaviti, Adonai, Lenegdi, Tamid. I put the Lord continually before me. I keep my eyes on the Lord. And now here's where it begins. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, we know that the psalmist, when they wrote this, is probably in a difficult spot. We know that the psalmist is probably living in some kind of oppression, some kind of struggle, some kind of pursuit that's negative. And what he's simply saying here is, God, you're my refuge. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, if you take that in its simplicity, what the psalmist is saying, you're better than anything else I have, and you're the only source I have. I know there's one famous theologian who says that brokenness is knowing God is all we have. 
that there are those times where we realize we have nothing more. And, and I simply want to give you this picture because as kind of Western thinkers, we think of God in abstract terms. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. In the biblical understanding, it was very concrete. In fact, it would be like this, that God is our rock. In other words, God is unshakable. God is our shade in the midst of wilderness living in all of that heat and difficulty. These, these broom trees, it's a very specific picture, would grow up there and literally people would put their head under them and find shade just around the broom team, just enough to kind of soften what they were dealing with. God is shade for us in the heat and the dryness of the wilderness. God is our refuge, as the psalmist says here, is a beautiful picture because they would build these places of refuge high up above the desert floor that would give safety and protection from anyone that would come because they couldn't get to them. It's a picture of God being a place for us. Shaviti, Adonai, Lenegdi, Tamid. God, I put you continually before me because in the midst of what goes on, you're the only one and the only one that can bring safety and unshakable shade and be a rock and be a covering. It's where the psalmist begins. And they continue, in a sense, with those things that are both good and bad around them. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones, in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Now, the center part I wanna focus for just a minute on is this kind of diversion that the psalmist cites, even though you and I wouldn't relate directly to these words. But as I was reflecting on this, I didn't want to miss something here. He says of the holy people who are in the land, they're noble ones in whom is my delight. (laughs) And I wasn't planning on talking about this today, but it hit me as I've just been reflecting on the last week. Different conversations I've had. I had a conversation with an individual who serves up in one of the basically the the food distribution places in Muskegon that's been going up there every week and building a team every week to go help with one of the many supper houses, one of the many kitchens. And as they were kind of interacting, I was just, it occurred to me, here's a holy one who's going, God, I will do whatever people need around me. I I found myself over the weekend reflecting on the fact that we served 110, 111 families, I think, in Coopersville and how many of you came around and volunteered. And I go, there's just delight for me in you as brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, serving those in need. I got several messages from people saying, how can I help? Put me in, coach. How can I serve? And I go, there's just a delight. I have to say, as one of your pastors going, you care beyond yourselves. There's a delight for me in the midst of your generosity that you continue to give, not just to us, but to so many in need, whether it's food, whether it's your generosity financially, whether it's serving, there's just a delight for me. And even though it's not central to what we want to talk about, I didn't want to miss saying, I am so grateful. And we as a team are so grateful for many of you and what you do. There's a delight. Now, the other side of this is what I didn't want to miss, which is how he's challenging that others go to other gods. There are many that run in the wrong directions. And I simply want, I know that none of us, at least I would hope not, are uh, drinking blood to other gods or dealing with things in a different way. But there's this idea of syncretism. We've talked about it before that we kind of adapt to different deities in our culture. We drink of different kind of libations. Some of us, literally, it's that. In fact, I was reminded when I ran into a friend in the last few weeks who actually drives a a wrecker, told me how much the DUIs are up right now. 
uh, just because I think people are drinking just to try to cope. I don't know how to manage this. How do I escape? And, you know, that's one clear way, but we have lots of ways we do it. What if that's another God that we turn to? We say, God, you're not enough for me. You're not my refuge. Maybe this will bring me at least joy or happiness in the moment. Even like the taste of something that doesn't really fill us but feels good going down. But man, when it gets to the stomach, it's a waste. Maybe for others of us, we love the idea of Jesus as long as it's not offensive and demanding more from any other pursuit of any other deity. And yet Jesus speaks of the one and only. Maybe for some of us, it's even, I'm not sure, I'm kind of a Christian secularist. I'm not even sure it really matters to me other than good moral teaching. And the challenge here from the psalmist is, man, don't settle for lots of other ways and put God in one picture alongside of all of them. Shaviti, Adonai, Lanegdi, Tamid, put him before you continually. Fix your eyes on the Lord in an ongoing way. Boy, he's uniquely your refuge. He's the one that can be your only source. No other one can do. And then the psalmist continues. Lord, you alone are my portion, my cup. You make my lot secure. And then he goes on. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counseled me at night. Even my heart then at night instructs me. I love this aspect of the story here. There's so many pieces to look at in this. I want to focus just simply with you on the boundary lines. It's one of the parts of this psalm I think that's always been important to me because the psalmist is happy with his inheritance or her inheritance, you know, as you think of us as men and women. And what, what they're saying is, God gave you a unique destiny and a unique inheritance. Celebrate what that is. Live into what he has for you, not what he has for someone else. Because you and I both know when we start to look at someone else's inheritance, we become competitive and discontent and malcontent. And the psalmist says, I've learned to be grateful for what you have for me in my life. And it really gives a full picture of this. I mean, the idea of God counseling them and at night his own heart instructing me, saying that God's very counsel gets into my heart and instructs me in life. But it's this top, you alone are my portion. You alone are my cup and my lot is secure. Uh, there's a unique image here for anyone who's reading this that was from the Jewish culture. See, the, the Levites, which were the priests of the Israelites, they had this unique thing in that they weren't given land. It said their inheritance was the Lord himself. Now, we're starting to get a different picture here from this passage than just putting God before you. God's not just saying he's there for you. He's saying, guess what? I am more than enough. There's something greater in me than in what you pursue. There's a new turning that's going on here in what the psalmist is saying to us. And then we get to this center passage, the one that we began with, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, Shaviti Adonai, Lenegdi Tamid. And then we get direction. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This maybe is the most centering piece that we want to stop for a minute on. It's called Shaviti because everyone in Jesus' day and before and even since was to understand that putting God central, putting him as source and destination and means would be a different perspective that was unshakable. All of us are in a time right now where we've had some shaking in our lives. Some of us have been secure enough in what our circumstances are. It hasn't shaken us that much. Others of us, it's really shaken us. 
But most of us are looking to when it gets back to what we call normal, that we'll be okay again. And yet I'm telling you, there's something greater than that to discover the Shaviti. I have put the Lord continually before me and I will not be shaken. I keep my eyes on the Lord. He's at my right hand and I won't be shaken. There's something better and unshakable about him that I can get no other way. Man, when I need a refuge, God's my only one. When people are looking at other things to meet their lives needs, God's the only one. God's my portion and my cup and my lot. His inheritance is what I want. That's what the psalmist is saying and it centers around this idea of continually putting God before them. And now it's gonna turn to this place of great encouragement, this place of is God really like broccoli where we acquire a taste, we kind of deal with him so that we get to a better result, but it's not that fun? Or is it really better than that? This is what the psalmist goes on to say. Out of experience, by the way, I want you to be clear. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Now, for our purposes, this last section is simply saying to us, he is a God of hope in the midst of circumstance, just like when we don't have anything else, brokenness, in a sense, is saying that God is all we have. Hope is saying that God is all we need. That is a picture of this right here. What I love, though, is the beginning. My heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will rest secure. The psalmist is saying, every facet of me finds some joy and secure meaning out of putting God before me and having him be center to my life. That's why it speaks of the heart, the mouth and the body. It's every aspect of who we are. It's not simply an emotional ascent. It's not simply thinking about, it's how we live life in day-to-day pursuit, walking one step at a time. I keep my eyes on the Lord. Shaviti, Adonai, Lenegdi, Tamid, Shaviti. I put you before me, God. There is gladness and joy in this, but it reaches its apex in the final verse. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It's a beautiful picture that God directs us, but that his very presence is what brings us joy. When I think about how we can be as followers of Jesus, and I'm guilty of this, so I'm not saying I have figured this out, but I think I'm on a journey moving into it more. I want to take you to a story that maybe will help illustrate this. It's the story of a a Greek mythology of Odysseus, known as Ulysses in the Roman mythology. In this particular story, Odysseus is wanting and having to travel past an island where there are, they're called the sirens. These sirens are these beautiful, godlike women creatures that sing out a really wonderful song that draws anyone who's sailing by to them, ultimately that will lead to their death and destruction. Odysseus knows this, and so what he wants to do is be able to enjoy what he can't have, but still move in the right direction. So what he does on this ship is he has all the sailors tie him to the mast of the ship, meaning the the big spire that goes up. He's just tied to it. He can't move. He has all of the sailors put on these earmuffs so they can't hear what's sung, and they row past the island. And in it, Odysseus is tormented as he hears this beautiful sound that he's drawn to but can't get to and knows it will destroy him. 
but he gets past it. That's how he gets through it. Now, the premise behind that narrative, that story, is that what we want most is bad for us. And I think with Christians, we often think this way. You know, it's funny when I ask people even, hey, how's it going in spending time just being with God, of putting him before you? They'll say things like, oh, I should be doing more. It's always should. It's always this obligation. I know it's better. It's kind of like eating broccoli. It's kind of like working out. It's kind of like doing the things that manage that I don't want to. But I know it's better for me, but it's not as fun. That is just not true. Think about it this way. We believe God created everything. And when he created everything, it's good. So everything he makes is the best. What's better, what he made or him? Do you know what? The best thing God gives us is him. I think what it is, is we haven't really fully yet discovered who he is and just how much joy there is in being in his presence. And the psalmist is saying this to us. You know what? I've had a lot of things in life. I've had a lot of good things. But I got to tell you, even though you even show me the path of life, you fill me with the joy of your presence. And there's pleasures I can't even begin to fathom at your right hand. Oh, I have discovered that Shaviti, oh, I move in that direction. And what I find out is you're not just good. You're the best thing I have. It's very simply this. The best thing God gives us is him. Could it be that you and I are shaken right now in so many things, not because we can't find joy, but we're looking for joy in the wrong place? I wonder if that isn't what we're so messed up over. I'll say that as one too. It's been interesting going through this season because it's shaken some things for me. And, and I would have thought I was more anchored than this. But it's made me ask the question, could it be that I'm really not learning what it means to find the joy of the God of the universe. The best thing God gives us is him. When you understand this, everything we read in the Psalms make more sense. I want you to see these passages again, just this part. You are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. I put the Lord continually before me because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Oh my goodness, the best thing God gives me is him. Why do you think he says, apart from you, I have no good thing? Because apart from you is nothing, never as good as you are. It's not just that you give me what I need. It's that who you are is better than what I ever thought I needed. Look at the next one that we focused on. You alone are my portion, my cup. You make my lot secure. I think of how many times, even in those manners when I've had time with God, where I've sat there and thought, I'm enjoying God's presence. I often experience something and think, I can't wait to get outside of being with him so I can tell someone else and they'll be glad for it. Or they'll be impressed and they'll feel good about me. Or my circumstance will be better. God becomes a transaction. Oh, I want to be in your presence so that you will give me this, so that my life will go well, so that... And we miss this beautiful statement. You're my portion. You're my cup. You make my lot secure. In case you don't know it, the Levites were the representatives to the Israelites, to God's presence. They were the priests, the mediation between him and them to help and serve them. Do you know that we're referred to as believers in Jesus as a royal priesthood? In other words, we're made to be the people that, that go to God on behalf of others and go to others on behalf of God. We are intervening and interceding to help others discover what we're learning, which is that there is nothing better than who he is. The best thing God gives us is him. 
It's not meant to be just for you and me. It's meant to be shared. He's meant to be shared. We centered on the Shaviti aspect and then we continued on. My heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. You want to find unquenchable, unshakable joy. You will find that in God's very presence. Nowhere else. Because everything else is less than. The best thing God gives us is him. And that's where we finish in this. You fill me with the joy in your presence. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's uh, one writer, John Piper, who really kind of re-envisioned what Jonathan Edwards talked about during the Great Awakening in America. He calls it Christian hedonism, but it's the idea that God is most joyful when we're most satisfied in him because he made us to be that way. In essence, he made us to be in relationship with him and the most joyful thing we can have is being in proximity and in his presence. I know it's not a complicated idea. The best thing God gives us is him. I know for me, it's a long journey. And the more I discover it, the more power there is in it. I wanna close out and kind of give us a time to pray to help you pursue this. Before I do, I wanna give you kind of one more picture of this because this psalm is also called a messianic psalm, meaning it gives image to Jesus. It's one that's about him. In fact, it's quoted twice in the book of Acts when the church begins to have its new life after its resurrection, both times citing that it says, you will not let your holy ones see decay. This idea that I will live and not die that it's an image of the Messiah coming, living obediently to the Father, finding his identity, even as the Son of God in the Father's very presence, one with the Father, yet unique in personhood, giving image to that. And then what I want you to see is that Jesus saying this, I have a delightful inheritance. His inheritance through his life and his death and resurrection are all the people that will seek his forgiveness and seek relationship with him. His inheritance is you and me. His greatest delight in the very presence of the Father, being God himself, as Jesus is, is us. What a beautiful picture for you and me. If you're pursuing that and wanting to know him, for people who follow him. I wanna give opportunity wherever you are to respond today. And so I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes And I'm just gonna pray a few pictures and hopefully that will be helpful to you. Lord, I ask for those who follow you today, not even for a place of conviction that we've done too little, but just for a very taste of your presence. Lord, I pray they would hear just a thought come into their mind, the peace come over them of how much you love and cherish them as your son, your daughter. I pray they would even begin to see how the other things they seek will never give them what they need. And God, it's not like Odysseus that they would tie themselves to a mass and try to do better, but they would actually seek what's best and find a joy that's uncomparable. I pray for the gift of peace to be on them. I pray for the gift and the blessing of calm, of purpose. And I do pray they would discover the joy of your very presence and the pleasures at your right hand. Lord, I ask you would cover them. And Lord, I pray for those who are pursuing you that don't net call you Lord and Savior. 
And if you're in that place today, even look up at the screen, look up at the, your TV just a minute to me. And I wanna say to you, man, God cherishes you and he's made a way for you to actually put him before you. And it's simply this, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, thank you that you died and rose again to help me be in relationship with you, with the Father through your spirit. I receive your forgiveness and I want the joy and the purpose of your presence. I want you to be my portion and my cup and my destiny. And I pray for each one who's done that, they would receive it today. I bless each one now and pray your presence and God, just the word shaviti to go over them again and again, that the best you have to give them is you. May they know that in your name, amen.